Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 247 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel. This week, we're going to talk about Floyd Mayweather fighting Logan Paul, February 20th. It's on the fight to save boxing. Errol Spence decisively beats Danny Garcia like some of us told us he would. And Anthony Joshua is going to fight Kubra Pulev this weekend. We actually got a few good fights coming up this weekend. This is TNC 247 for the week of December 12th. Also on the show, we're going to be joined by Keon Papillon and his father, Jason Papillon. Those of you who have been watching boxing for a while, if you go back to the 90s, you remember Jason Papillon. He fought um, Paul Vaden, Bronco McCart, Winky Wright, challenged for a few 154-pound titles. His son, Keon, just went... Uh, professional earlier this year. He has one pro fight under his belt now, and he's going up uh, this weekend. He's fighting, uh, I think, Saturday in Alabama, his second pro fight. So we're going to have them on because I think it'll be interesting to talk about the father-son dynamic. Uh, Jason is managing his son's career, and that just seems to be the thing now, man, father-son teams. There was one point in boxing where that was really looked down upon. It just was not seen as, as a smart thing to do, right? You, you rarely, rarely saw it. And now I would say it's the norm. It really is the norm in this era. But let's jump right into news and notes, man. Floyd Mayweather versus Logan Paul, February 20th. So this was just announced, and it was announced on the heels of Errol Spence's win over Danny Garcia, which I think was strategic. Uh, that did trend on social media Saturday night into Sunday so it made a lot of sense for Floyd to drop that bomb right there. Floyd and Logan. I think Logan Paul, well, both Paul brothers know how to play that game as well. Uh, so, look, a lot of people are pissed off about this. I, I, I get it. I don't hate this fight. I don't love it either. I'm probably not going to watch. This t technically is supposed to be an exhibition. I don't know what weight it's going to be at. Don't be surprised if the WBC jumps in with their new Bridger weight division and somehow makes a title for this thing. I'm telling you it could happen. You know they're going to get involved at some way, in some way and make some. What was the name of the title belt they did for Floyd versus Conor? I think it was the money belt, something like that. Something crazy ridiculous, man. Uh, so, look, what does this mean that we're getting all of these fights? Well, it means a few different things. Uh, name value goes a long way. Floyd still has name. He's still the biggest name of all the... I'm not going to say current fighters because he's not a current fighter, but of this generation, let's say, right? Post-2000, of the 21st century, he's the biggest name in the world. So he can come and come back and do something like this. He saw what Mike Tyson just did. Jake Paul just had a big fight that kind of broke through. And, um, you know, Logan Paul wants some of that action. So I get why they're doing it. It also shows that the biggest and best names in boxing are not fighting each other. And some are more guilty than others. We'll talk about that later on in the show. Uh, because if, if the best fighters in the world were all fighting each other and fans were getting what they wanted all the time, every time, I don't think these events would be coming around as much. I still think they'd be part of it, though. Boxing has always had these sideshow attractions, and it's not just boxing, man. Baseball, basketball, football, you see this kind of stuff in every single sport. It's not just in boxing. I think that in boxing, though, what you see in this era is these big circus attractions break through 
more than the real fights most of the time. That's the difference. And uh, it wasn't always necessarily like that. But let's be honest. I mean, Muhammad Ali did stuff like this. Joe Lewis did wrestling. I mean, these guys, they crossed over and did all kinds of stuff, going all the way back. So it's not new. What's new, though, is that these events break through, again, as I said, more than the regular fights. And this is going to be streamed on some app. I have no freaking idea. It, you know, I do also think, though, that with streaming, there is more opportunities for these types of events. And I think that's just the future of all media in general. Guys, let's not pretend that uh, Netflix and Hulu and, and these, these streaming apps aren't whooping regular network TV's ass. Okay, and when it comes to media, internet media, and especially independent media, is slaughtering the main, the mainstream media. To use a boxing reference, is literally on the ropes. They 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 have already taken a knee. It's a standing eight count, basically. Okay, uh, nobody other than people like over sixty watch the regular news anymore. Uh, cable news, even. So this is just the new form of entertainment. You're going to see more of this stuff. The bottom line is, man, Logan Paul, I don't know how many million followers or subscribers he has on YouTube, but it's significant. It's eight figures. And Floyd sees that and knows he can have a little fun with it. This is going to be scripted. It's going to be just like Floyd's fight with Conor McGregor. Some of you guys brought up the tension. Uh, I can't remember that guy's full name, but the Japanese kid, where Floyd went over there and just whooped that guy's ass. They didn't have that gentleman's agreement. I guarantee you, Logan Paul is not signing on to fight Floyd Mayweather, as young as he is and important as his branding is, to, to go in there and take an ass whooping and get a second round knockout loss. There's a gentleman's agreement there, just the same way Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather had one. I still can't believe people out there really think that Conor McGregor was competitive with Floyd and that Floyd didn't carry him, especially when that you can see the betting lines. It's insane how gullible people are, but they're going to believe this shit too. So I don't hate it. I don't love it. We'll talk more about it as it gets closer. All right, Clarissa Shields going into MMA, calling boxing sexist, et cetera, et cetera. I did a video Friday talking a lot about this. I could maybe go back and take out just the Clarissa Shield snippet and, and repost that for you guys to share. I don't know, but it's about 15 minutes in. It was like an hour-long video because it talked about a few different things. But a good portion of that video was talking about Clarissa Shield specifically, but all of women's boxing. So I addressed my thoughts on all this there. We will revisit it in the future. I wish Clarissa all the best of luck in her move over to MMA, but if it's any, if she treats it anything like her boxing career, there's going to be a sense of entitlement and wanting it overnight, and that's not the way to go over there. Holly Holm went from boxing, I think she did kickboxing too, into MMA, and it was a slow build for her over there. Took her years to uh, before she went up against the best at that time, which was Ronda Rousey. The talent pool over there has probably doubled or tripled since then, and let's at least say doubled. And so uh, Clarissa is going to have her work cut out for her. But there's a lot of big girls over there. There's not as many big girls in boxing. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but Clarissa is a big girl. And there's just not as many of them in boxing. Uh, there's more, just like there's not many big guys these days. It, it's more little guys, right? Over at UFC, uh, their weight. look at their weight divisions. I, I think, what, what is a light heavyweight over there? Like 200 and something pounds? So there's there's big girls over there that Clarissa is going to have to fight against, and there's names for her to fight. So 
There's big money fights down the line, but she's been bitching about, you know, she has what, 10 fights in boxing and she's bitching that she's not getting a pay-per-view fight. Well, she's not going to jump over there and do one or two fights. She could do that and jump into a pay-per-view event, but she'll probably get her ass beat. She probably should take her time. I wish her luck. All right, Jarrell Big Baby Miller, finally officially suspended by the Nevada State Athletic Commission, or NSAC, um, will be out of the ring until January 20, 20, uh, 2022 at the earliest. So uh, I think this suspension, it, it's, it's two years, and it's supposed to go well into 2022, but he can get six months chopped off with an appeal. But that's it, though. So the absolute earliest you'll see Big Baby Miller back is 2022. My question is this. Who really gives a shit? Honestly. Was he, do you really think that for the next year, year and a half, he's going to sit and just work out and stay in shape and not do drugs? This dude's done drugs his entire career. I'm just going to say it. He's an absolute cheater. We know this now, okay? When I said it, a year or so ago, I got attacked by the Jarrell Big Baby Miller fans, which is typical. It happens with everything all the time. Now they're all in hiding, and it's really just easy to beat up on Big Baby Miller. I just look at this guy as somebody who probably needs counseling. I think he's addicted to performance-enhancing drugs. Um, there's obviously a weight issue there. The PEDs help him stay, quote-unquote, fit and uh, help him feel strong. And look, you can, you, when people talk about addiction, man, yeah, you could be addicted to hard drugs, heroin and cocaine and stuff like that. You could be addicted to eating food, but you can also be addicted to performance-enhancing drugs. It's still an addiction. So I think this guy is a problem. And I think part of his suspension should be that he has to see a therapist. If over the next 12 months he's seeing a behavioral sports therapist and really getting help and doing 24-7 Vada testing at his expense, then I'll be interested when he comes back because he's got a little something to him. He's not a future champion. He never was. Uh, he doesn't have quite that potential, but he can make for some damn interesting fights and he knows how to sell a fight. So we'll see what happens, but shame on any promoter that just takes this guy back in 2022 without asking any questions, but it could happen. Okay, uh, let's get to the review, guys. Last Friday, December 4th, Billy Joe Saunders, unanimous decision win over Martin Murray in London on the zone. Do I really need to talk about this? Yeah. I mean, this pretty much went like Daniel Jacobs' fight recently against Gabe Rosado. I told you guys it probably would. Look, I, I've blown some calls this year, okay? I really have. I picked Wilder over Fury in that rematch. I picked Lomachenko over Lopez. I've blown some. But I've definitely gotten more of them right than I get wrong. And, and this was another example. Like, it's not just, yeah, it was easy to pick who was going to win. But there are people out there saying that Saunders was going to knock this guy out and stop him. Come on, man. People were saying that about Jacobs Rosado. I, I think with Jacobs, I mean, Jacobs at his best was a better fighter than Billy Joe Saunders will ever be. I, I'm just not a huge believer in him. I do think he has a high ceiling to put it all together on one night and to have a really good performance in an important fight, uh, which would be him and, and Canelo, right? That's the fight that everyone talks about. But has he done anything to earn it? I still want to see Saunders and Andre fight. Demetrius Andre and Billy Joe Saunders haven't done a damn thing in their career. They were supposed to fight 
It was Saunders who screwed that up because he cheated, not Andre. So Andre shouldn't get any shit for that. But Andre hasn't done a damn thing himself. Let these two fight, and the winner can fight Canelo at 168. Sounds good to me. I'm not particularly excited about watching a Saunders-Andre fight in terms of action, but I do think it would be interesting. It'd be tactical. It would be a chess match. But it would be pretty interesting for a purist, such as myself. And I think that the winner would deserve a Canelo fight at that point. But man, right now, I couldn't give a shit. I must be constipated because I couldn't give a shit when it comes to Billy Joe Saunders. All right, Saturday, December 5th. Upset special. Although, is it really an upset? Lyndon Arthur split decision win over Anthony Yard. Um, Now, okay, well, the scores, 115-114 twice. And Ian John Lewis, not surprisingly, scored at 117-111 for Anthony Yard, which is not the fight that took place. Now, there are some people out there that felt that the fight was close and felt that perhaps Yard could have edged it by a point or perhaps a draw was in order. But I got to tell you guys, the majority of the people I have talked to both sides of the pond felt that uh, that Arthur won this fight. The majority of people I've talked to said Arthur won this fight. Um, anyway, I mentioned this fight because an upset special is always interesting. But at the same time, uh, the fact that Anthony Yard almost beat Sergey Kovalev when they fought last year. Remember that? It says a lot about the version of Sergey Kovalev that Canelo Alvarez beat. Because not only was that a really... Uh, draining, difficult fight for Kovalev where he was almost knocked the hell out. And and if that fight wasn't in the venue it was in, the location it was in with that referee and ring officials, uh, it probably would have been stopped. If that was here in the United States, that fight might have been stopped. If it was in the UK, it absolutely would have been stopped. But because of where it was, Kovalev was able to fight through. Props to him. Props to the veteran for, for finishing that fight and winning and getting his big payday against Canelo, which... Regardless of how you feel about Sergey Kovalev outside the ring, and there's a lot of things about him that are not uh, likable, what he did in the ring, he deserved that Canelo Alvarez payday. He had earned that. However, coming off that short turnaround, uh, being at the stage of his career that he was in, having been stopped multiple times, I just don't rate that win as a huge win for Canelo. I don't even know if I put that in Canelo's top five. Am I crazy for thinking that? I just when you look at the levels of all this man, Anthony Yard almost beat this, almost beat Kovalev just before Canelo did, and Yard just got beat by a guy that nobody's been paying attention to. So Anthony Yard is what he is, man. He's just he's a mid-level kind of guy. He's going to be a gatekeeper level guy in his career, and that's that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, also, last Saturday, of course, the big show in uh, Arlington, Texas, AT&T Stadium, PBC on Fox pay-per-view. Of course, this should not have been on pay-per-view. It should have been on regular Fox, but uh, it was on pay-per-view. It did trend on social media, like I said. And remember when they moved the date of this event? They moved the date to December 5th. They moved it down to Texas. There were a lot of people out there that said, oh, here we go. Boxing is... Because I think there was it was originally scheduled on the same weekend as a big UFC pay-per-view. And people were saying, oh, boxing is bending over to UFC again, blah, blah, blah. It was a smart move. They went to a weekend where there were no other events going on, no other big sporting events. And guess what? It was smart because this event trended on social media. All that being said, it shouldn't have been on pay-per-view. And I'll discuss why uh, in a little bit because 
that look, the pay-per-views are further killing the sport right now in the United States, man. There are some events that do rate pay-per-view. I think that the rematch between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, say what you will, in this era, that was a pay-per-view worthy event. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, probably not. But in this era, that's a pay-per-view event. I had no issue with that fight being on pay-per-view. But every other pay-per-view this year, every other one, did not belong there. And that hurts the sport, man. It's less eyes seeing these fighters. These are young guys. They're supposed to be building themselves up. And it's also part of the reason why you're going to get more of these circus acts like Floyd versus Logan Paul. So I'll break all that down. I want to see. I think we have our guest on the line. Yeah, let me jump over here to the phones, guys. Hang on one second. We'll bring our guest on the show. All right. uh, Keon and Jason, is that you on the line? Yes, sir. How you doing, Mr. Montero? Doing well, doing well. Is this Keon? No, this is Jason. Oh, this is Jason. Okay. Keon should be calling. I just just got you on the line. So is he going to call in too, or is it just you today? No, he's going to call in. He should be calling in. Keon! (laughs) Get him motivated. Get him him on the phone. Yeah. (laughs) How you doing, man? Keon! I'm fine, man. I'm blessed. And yourself? Doing well, man. Doing How are well. you doing? I'm doing all right. That's great. Oh, there he yeah, is. Okay. All right. So you guys. All right. Let me. Oh, you got him? Yeah. I'm about right. to patch him in. All yeah, right. Keon, his, can you hear he's me? in his room. I'm howling from the living room. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Keon, do we got you on the line? Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. So uh, we got. Uh, just to let everybody out there watching know, we got Keon and Jason Papillon. And so Jason fought as a professional, uh, mostly in the 90s, fought some top guys in the 154-pound division, including uh, Winky Wright. And his son recently went pro, uh, had a, his first pro fight uh, earlier this year, has a fight coming up this weekend. So uh, could you guys tell me about the fight coming up this weekend and what to expect? I'll let Kian go ahead. You can start it off, son. Say that again. It was breaking up. Oh, it's breaking up. Okay. I was just I was just wanting you to uh, basically just introduce yourself, talk about the fight that you got coming up this weekend. I know you're fighting on an undercard. I think it's Michael Williams Jr., who's another welterweight prospect. Uh, I think he's headlining that card, and you're fighting on the undercard. So I just wanted you to talk a little bit about your fight. Yeah, it's my second pro fight. Feels like I'm debuting again because of the long break with the virus. But right. my second pro fight, and it's gonna be a spectacular come to see. Well, I want to talk to you about um, you, you went pro late, right? I think because you're 23 years old and you just went pro uh, recently. So why did you go pro late? What made you decide to go pro and then go pro when you did? I mean, I was trying to get to the Olympics, you know, the 2020 Olympics, but in multiple injuries and all that kind of set that back. But, you know, I feel like it was the right time. And there was no, I mean, the time off, like the time in the amateurs, all it did was just give me more experience. So I really don't see it as, you know, a late time. So the more experience, the better. 
Yeah, I think I honestly, between us, I think you made the right decision. Uh, Jason, I'm sure you'd agree. Obviously, you agree because you're managing your son's career. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with the Olympics and everything else. And I think, I mean, obviously, you guys probably know the uh, national championships were delayed. They're going to push them back to 2021. I talked about that on my show last week. So I definitely think you made the right call. Uh, let's talk about boxing in the South. So I, I live in Atlanta now. Moved here from Los Angeles two years ago, and it's amazing to me. Just um, I feel like this market down here is wide open. I feel like there's a lot of talent down here. Obviously, I mean, just look at college basketball, college football. I feel like ninety percent of the players are from this part of the country. There, there's so much talent here. How do we get boxing going again in the Southeast? Well, basically, I mean. Uh... We do have a lot of talent, unknown talent, you know, that we need to find and bring out. You know, I mean, we have very talented kids. They just just being led in the wrong direction. And, and hopefully, you know, with my son, Keon turned pro and made his professional debut in February. And he's getting ready to fight again. And, and the majority of the kids, they know of him. And they know of me and our last names. Mm -hmm. And and with him in the professional level, it can kind of motivate them, you know, give them an incentive to try to do better and 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 take the right path to making better choices in life. Because it's somebody that they know that's doing something positive. Yeah, you hit on and a couple things. I think that things. would help a lot. You hit on a couple things that I, I wanted to talk about. Because, um, you know, I'm still getting to know the scene down here, right? And I'm, I'm getting to know the people in the commission here here in Georgia. We had the Javante Davis fight uh, last year here with with uh, Yuri Gamboa. The plan is to bring more fights here, I know, in 2021. I know Top Rank and PBC have looked at this area. Um, but I, I got to say, a lot of the commission people I talk to, a lot of the promoters, the managers say that there's kind of this mentality of fighters here of being the opponent. And I'm not – you guys, I'm not saying have that uh, that mentality, but a lot of trainers and managers around here do. And you see it and you hear this term, the Chitlin circuit, and you see uh, you know, people being brought up here and then they get shipped off to fight one of the PBC prospects or one of the top-ranked prospects – on an ESPN Plus card, on an FS1 card, used to build up these prospects from California, New York, wherever. How do you avoid that mindset, and how do you stay focused? You know, what is your business plan? You know, building up your brand here. Well, honestly, I mean, uh, we, I'm, I'm kind of taking it back to the old days. You know, mm -hmm. how you how you build up a fighter. Not throwing to the wolves early like some of like some of them are doing, you know, just to have them on a on a big card, get some money, have them on TV, but they're not really looking out for their fighter. You know, I, I want the best for my son. I want my son to fight for a world title. I want him to become world champion in multiple weight classes. So I'm gonna guide him a little better than I was guided. You know, I want him, I'm going to build him up the way he's supposed to be in. And when it's time for the right fights, he'll be ready for him. He's not going to be thrown in with the wolves early and have him 
get discouraged and lose interest in boxing, you know, and it's not, it's not going to happen like that. You know, I was, I'm glad I went through what I went through. And now that my son decided to do what he wants to do in the boxing game, I have that experience to, to guide him in the right direction. Yeah. Again, Jason, you hit on something, man. Uh, the father son thing, you know, there's two angles there. So the first one, you know, yeah, you just hit on, you, you talked about being, you know, guiding him better than you were guided, man. You were thrown to the wolves. If people, if you, if you look up Jason's resume, he fought everybody. He fought a lot of top guys in that era. Yeah. And a lot of fathers, I, I talked to so many fighters and I asked them, you know, would you let your son box? And they say, hell no, <laughs> you know, like no way I'm letting my kid get involved in that game. So what made you uh, see that differently? You know, uh, how do you, is it because you, is that why you want to stay a part of your son's career and be his manager so that you can, I guess, teach him the lessons that you were taught the hard way? Exactly. You know, and I'm, I'm not really the manager. Okay. I'm sort of the assistant trainer. The head trainer is the guy that trained me, Alfie Smith. And we do have an, a, an advisor who is Arnie Rosenthal, who was managing me. So we don't really have the manager. We have an advisor and trainers. But the same way that Arnie led me to a world title, that's what he wants. That's what he wants to do for my son. Okay. Lead him to, to a world title the same direction. Not, not putting him in these fights that's gonna destroy him. Right. Early. Right. You know, destroy his mentality early. No, we we're trying to build him up, build his confidence up slowly. And like I said, when it's time to step up to that that level, that plateau, he's gonna be ready. You know, my son is a very talented fighter. You know, and I'm not just saying it because he's my son. You know, I I'm looking at it. I see it. You know, he's he's a hundred percent better than I was when I first started. And and if, and the determination that I had to make it to a world title and win multiple belts with not having the talent that he have, I think he's going to succeed much better if he just stay faithful and focused. I want to ask a question to Keon. Um, I was talking about earlier in the show, father-son corners used to kind of be frowned upon in the sport, but now it's almost like a common thing. You, you're seeing it a lot. Um, I mean, we just saw one uh, father-son corner last weekend. So what is it like training with your dad, and how do you separate the father-son thing from fighter-trainer? Because sometimes in the gym, a trainer is going to get on your ass, and, you know, that's your dad. You might want to snap back. You might want to say something, but that's your trainer. How do you separate that? I mean, I, I separate it pretty good. I, I know the difference between trainer and father, but I know he pushes me a lot harder than than everybody else or or like anybody I've ever seen him train. Like I don't get the special treatment they do, which I already understand and knew that coming into it. So I really have to be on my P's and Q's at all times. You obviously grew up seeing your dad box. What what at what age did you decide that you wanted to start boxing? 
Uh, he tried to force me at a young age, but <laughs> I decided at 14, 15, and I had my first fight at 16, I think. 15 or 16, I, I'm still, I don't really remember that much. Gotcha. What, what made you What made you decide you wanted to start fighting? Uh, you know, I don't know. I guess, like, I was playing all kind of other sports and played football, basketball, and I always wanted to center attention, but I wasn't really the star, you know, mm-hmm. of either of the sports like that. So, and I guess I just, like, one of these practices, like, from football practice, I was walking home, and I passed up the gym where they was, and I was just like, yeah, I think I'm going to start coming back. So, and ever since then, I've just been back in it. And what really made me want to start fighting was the kids that beat on and beat me up. And I was just like, man, I'm going to get my payback. So, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, hey, that's understandable. We've all been there, man. Uh, well, what's, what's your uh, social media game like? Uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that? I don't really. I don't really be on social media. I haven't really been on social media, but, you know, I'm knowing I'm have to, you know, get on now. Yeah. Knowing, like, the way yeah. things are now. So that's I'm have to the really one. make a change on that. That's the thing I was going to say, man. You guys got to get on social, uh, whether it's Instagram or whatever one, uh, because you see the results, man. The, these YouTube guys now are getting big fights. You see guys like Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney. Uh, I've built up their followings on social. I mean, Devin Haney promoted a lot of his own fights. Uh, what are your feelings on that, Jason, uh, compared to your era where you really had to just come up and fight dudes to build up your name? Now these guys could go on TikTok and get some viral video going and suddenly they got a big <laughs> fight. You know, I mean, what does that feel like to you? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, I, I wish it was out when I was fighting. Right. But, I mean, it wasn't. And, you know, we had to, like you say, we had to grind, man. We had to we had, we had to fight the best mm. in order to get what we wanted. You know, nowadays with social media, like you said, we just witnessed Nate Robertson and, and Jake Paul. Right. And these guys made half a million dollars. Oh, they got more than that. For that. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, you know, with the pay-per-view, you know, and it's, it's crazy, you know what I mean? It's it's a blessing and it's a curse. <laughs> it's a curse to us, you know, that that put our heart, sweat, blood, and tears behind it and didn't make the paydays that they're making today. You know, it's a yeah. blessing to these guys because of social media, you know, you don't have to work so hard and still get paid. That's the one thing I would say. And then and, pick one of them and just build up a profile right. there, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, um, because that's how you get the word out, man. But I, I will say, I mean, you're, you're right. doing the right thing just by doing the shows because I, I did a little uh, search on the web. And I've seen you guys have done a couple of podcasts already. You, you've been around. You're getting the word out. So you're definitely doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, and like I said, you know, I mean, I, I – I, I'm on social media. I have Instagram. I have Facebook, you know, and I have a lot of followers. And and my son, he's like, he's on it, but he's not on it. But, you know, that's something that, that really has to change. He needs to be on it more and start promoting himself, mm-hmm. you know, a little more. 
you know, but you know, my son, you know, he's like his father. He's very humble. You know, we don't really like, we don't really like putting ourselves out there. We'd rather people put us out there instead of us doing it ourselves. I hear you. You know, I was, I was never the type, you know, just to talk about myself. I, everybody, else, I would let the fans do it. I would, I would let the fans post it. I would let, let them say this and that. I never did, you know. And I, and I think that's what he inherited from me. But it's, it's a different era now. So now he has to promote himself. If he wants to be known, he has to get out there on social media and, and, and blow it up. You know, have these followers like these other guys, and, and then you're going to see the the the, the monetary the, coming in. You know? Right. Well, that's that's my job too, is to get the story out, and uh, we'll we'll post this recap to this interview on Ring TV, so we'll get you guys up there. You guys, um, we'll, we'll we'll start following your journey, Keon. Just you know, check in with us regularly. We'll have you guys back on the show. Uh, before I do let you go. Just remind everybody about your fight uh, this Saturday. It's Saturday in Alabama, welterweight fight, right? Uh, how many rounds? Four rounds. Okay, so it's a four rounder. Okay, and then when do you think you'll be back in the ring? I don't know yet, man. It's really unpredictable at this point, but I'm always ready, so doesn't matter. I hear you. You know, we're gonna try to keep him as busy as possible. You know, with this pandemic, it's kind of right, it's kind of right. tough. You know, it's we're just gonna we're gonna play it by ear. You know, we're gonna stay in shape. We're gonna stay in the gym in case that phone call comes. We're right. gonna be ready. And like I said, I have um Arnie Rosenthal, who's our advisor. He's been uh talking with Top Rank, okay. And you know, then the ear is out. You know, what I mean, the word is out on Keon. So we just have to stay ready in case that phone call comes and we'll be ready well you guys got my number if there's anything i could do drop me a line um you know I, maybe i can get you guys information as some people and because I, I i hear you look right now with covid I, I feel bad for every kid that went pro in 2020 or every kid that wanted to fight in the national championships every kid that wanted to fight in the olympics it just blew everything up and it didn't really affect the big stars yeah. like Canelo, but it affects all the kids coming in, you know. So anything I could do all for right. you guys anytime, just let me know. Well, we appreciate it, Mr. Mike, and thank you very much for having us on the show. Thank you. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do it again. We'll have you guys back on. We'll, we'll follow your journey. Uh, I think it's wonderful, the father-son thing. Um, and, hey, you know what? I'm not that far away in Atlanta, so maybe I'll get out there when when, my, when I'm allowed to uh, to the gym or to one of your fights, and we could do this in person. All right. That sounds great. That sounds great. All right, gentlemen, have a good night. You as well, Mister Mike. And again, thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Yeah, we're good, Mister Mike. Bye bye. You too. There they go, father and son. I love it. I love it. I love it. Anytime you get um, that kind of love together, father and son, uh, a father sharing his love and passion for this sport with his son or daughter um, and teaching him everything he knows, not just the good stuff, the skills, but all the lessons he learned, because this is a tough business, man. This is like being a politician. You know what I'm saying? It's dirty. It's really, really dirty and grimy. 
underneath the surface. You see the glitz and glam of the pay-per-view and the casinos and all this stuff. But underneath that, it's grimy. So the fact that, you know, Keon's got his father, Jason, there to tell him all those lessons and guide him along the way and he's in this corner, that's awesome. That's freaking awesome. So, yeah, man, I want to keep in touch with those guys and see how things go going forward. All right. Uh, So good luck to Keon this Saturday in Alabama. All right, let's jump back to the fight review. I think I was on the PBC on Fox card, and I talked a little bit about the fact that I didn't like that this was pay-per-view. So there's some good and there's some bad. The, The good is that it trended on social media because they made the right move by moving it to December 5th to Texas where you could have some fans. I, I saw a bunch of you guys that uh, follow me on social, um, you know, flying from all over the country to down to Texas to, to attend this fight live. So it, it definitely broke through in that regard. But at the same time, this thing probably is going to do a quarter million pay-per-view buys, and it'll be exaggerated. They'll say 350. They might even try to tell you 400,000 trending. They'll, I've noticed now the code word is, this pay-per-view is trending toward, and they give a figure. That's a way of skating around the truth. That's a way of saying, oh, it's probably 250000 but it's trending toward 400000 And what gets reported? 400000 So I find it funny that in this era, we bicker over whether a fight is selling two hundred fifty or 350000 pay-per-views. Ten years ago, we would have laughed at that shit. We would have absolutely laughed at that. That would have been a, a, a monster failure in pay-per-view. Now we're bickering over 20000 extra, plus or minus. Who gives a shit? It, it didn't break through. It's not, what it, it's not selling what it should be, and less eyes are seeing these fighters. Super Chat Pledge from Florian. Haven't seen you on the chat for a while, Florian. Good to see you on, man. Thank you so much for the Super Chat. He says, bro, my sincere condolences. Happy to see you back with your show. Wishing you a good holiday season despite the tragedy that happened. Thank you very, very much, Florian. I appreciate that. And uh, I won't talk about it too much here on the show, but we're having a memorial for my brother Anthony this Friday. Um, To be honest with you guys, I'm I'm pretty stressed because I've been having to plan all that with with my family and all that drama. On top of all the work I've been doing, you could hear it in my voice. I'm losing my voice, man. Um, it's just been a lot, and we're having that this Friday. So as difficult as that's going to be, it's going to be nice to get my family together. I, we can't get everyone to travel from Detroit and from different parts of the country because of COVID, but uh, we're, we're going to get – some of them are going to be able to travel. We'll, we'll have a memorial for, for my brother and uh, – I'm looking forward to it, but at the same time, I know it's going to be really, really, really difficult. So, um, anyway, okay, back to boxing. I know I can hear you guys yelling, "Back to boxing, Mike!" Okay, let's uh, let's talk about real quickly the undercard. Boy, this undercard was weak. Uh, Jose Cito Lopez TKO ten win over Francisco Santana, who has now lost five of his last six. That fight should have been stopped way sooner than it was. That was just a beatdown the last couple rounds. I don't know what Santana's corner was thinking, but finally it got stopped in the final round. And Sebastian Fondora, six foot five, junior middleweight, southpaw, just put an ass whooping on his opponent, Vito Milanecki, uh, with a good six round win, 
dropped his opponent a couple times. I mean, what is he, 18, 19? So both of those guys continue to uh, develop their career. Actually, Vito got in some more rounds. He needs those rounds as young as he is. And now let's talk about the main event. Errol Spence, unanimous decision win over Danny Garcia. I talked to you guys about this last week. Danny Garcia, really good 140-pounder, but that was seven years ago, guys. For the last seven years, he's been at welterweight, and he doesn't have an elite win. His best W was a faded, past-prime version of Pauli Malignaggi coming off a loss and a 14-month layoff, a, a dominant stoppage loss to Sean Porter. That is Danny Garcia's best win at welterweight. So I mentioned that on Twitter, and a few of you guys said, uh, well, what, you're just not going to rate his two close fights with Keith Thurman and Sean Porter? Yeah, they matter. He was competitive in those fights. I never said Danny Garcia was trash, but he lost those damn fights. I am sick of hearing, oh, those fights could have won either way. No, they couldn't. Go back and watch the damn fights. Sean Porter clearly beat Danny Garcia. Keith Thurman clearly beat Danny Garcia. Now, they were competitive, but seven rounds, five, eight rounds, four, pretty clear, pretty easy fights to score. Danny Garcia just came up short against that level of opposition. At, at welterweight, at welterweight. Now, at 140, different story because he could get you with those left hooks. He could get inside a little bit better. He didn't have to move as much. He could sit back and counterpunch more. But he, when he has to come forward against these bigger guys, like he had to do at times against Spence, he got chewed up, man. That's not his style. And you can't sit back and catch dudes the same way at welterweight because they're bigger. They're taller, they're longer, they're stronger, they're faster, they're more athletic. And that was the case here against Spence. So, all things considered for Spence, the car accident, all the questions, you know, all the time out of the ring, all the ring rust, coming back and fighting an opponent like Danny Garcia, who was never going to win this fight. That's why he was selected. Don't get me wrong, but he's still a damn good quality fighter, very experienced. He's been in there with a lot of good fighters. Excellent opponent, all things considered. If Errol Spence had come back and fought, a B or C level opponent on regular Fox for his comeback fight, nobody would have gave a damn. Everyone would have gave him a pass. But because this was pay-per-view, because Spence now is a pay-per-view fighter, a twice a year pay-per-view fighter for PBC, they have to put him in there with a name. So the name that they found that made the perfect sense. Okay, who's on the downslide? Who's lost a little steam on his fastball? Who's a smaller guy? Who doesn't have the size and the power at welterweight? Oh, here we go. Puerto Rican-American, uh, East Coast fighter, brings in some, some of that name recognition, good brand building, perfect matchmaking from PBC. They have beautifully guided Errol Spence's career. My only beef, my only beef with the way they've guided his career so far, actually it's two things. One, none of his fights against either Garcia or against uh, Porter rated pay-per-view. None of them. They all should have been on regular Fox. This dude could be huge right now. This thing could have did four or five million views. But they didn't. Also, no mention of Terrence Crawford. And that's, I'll get to that in just a second. Let me talk a little bit more about the fight. So I talked about Spence deserving a lot of credit for coming back and winning the way that he did. A lot of people thought that he was going to be uh, compromised. You know, they talked about the, the metal anchors and his jaw and stuff. But again, guys... Having metal in your jaw, not the same as having metal around your orbital bone, your temple, 
uh, you, you know, your eyebrows, anywhere up by your brain, okay, down at the jaw, I don't see it as a hinderment. I mean, we've seen a lot of fighters break jaws. We've seen a lot of fighters have to get uh, dental surgery and stuff, and they're just fine. I think that's the case with Daryl Spence. Uh, but terrific performance considering everything that he had dealt with over the last 12-plus uh, months. But I tried telling you, Danny Garcia, not an elite level welterweight, and his style was tailor-made for Spence. He was going to sit back and try to counter. If you're a taller, longer, more explosive, faster, more athletic guy, and you got to do this just standing there waiting for you to punch at him, you just use your length and punch at him and push him back. When he tries to chop back at you with his shorter arms, if you are the faster of fleet, uh, faster feet fighter, you could get out of out of range, and that's what Spence was able to do. This was just tailor made for him. Okay, um, okay. Not surprised that the judges had it closer than it really was. One sixteen, one twelve was not the fight that took place. This was a one eighteen, one ten fight. You really could have scored at 120-108, but if you gave Danny a round or two, I did. That's fine. But I told you guys the ju- that I thought that I thought this would maybe be a 115-113 score. They only went 116-112, but I told you guys they'd score it closer than what actually happened. They did they do this not just in the PBC fights, but all these PBC welterweight fights, especially, you see this. All the fights are scored closer than they really are. Even Pacquiao's fight with Thurman. He clearly beat Thurman. Didn't one judge have it a draw? All these fights are scored closer than they should be. This was not a very competitive fight. It was pretty one-sided. It really, really was. Florian says, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah, Danny's kind of got those T-Rex arms. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. He's just got short arms, you know. It just It's just how he's built. Um, let's see. Uh, what else do I have here in my notes? I talked about brand building. Uh, Mikey Garcia brings in the Mexican-American fan base. Sean Porter is, is known among the African-American fan base. And he's been in there with some top fighters. He fought Kel Brook over uh, – he fought him here, but that's a U.K. fighter, right? So brand building. And then Danny Garcia, Puerto Rican-American, East Coast guy. So you're bringing in uh, and Mikey Garcia, West Coast guy. Again, man, all these different demos that PBC has hit building up Errol Spence have done a fantastic job. My issue – no mention of Terrence Crawford. And this was, once again, after the fight, um, they asked uh, Errol Spence, hey, who do you want to fight? And he just says, hey, I want to go back to my ranch and play and play uh, on my horses, ride my horses and, and be with my family. Okay, cool, but who do you want to fight? Later on in the post-fight press conference, there was actually some media allowed to, to a post-fight presser, and they asked uh, Errol Spence once again. Uh, what, and they specifically brought the name Terrence Crawford. And, and and Errol Spence said, I'm not thinking about that. That's literally how he said it. I'm not thinking about that. I want to play with my horses and my kids on my ranch. It's so obvious that PBC has absolutely no intention of fighting Terrence Crawford. Um, even if, I'm just going to say it flat out, even if Terrence Crawford was with PBC right now, guys, you would not be getting Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. The plan there is to continue to build Errol Spence's brand. Who is the next guy who's smaller, older, well past his prime, and style-wise at this point in his career, tailor-made for Errol Spence, and will bring a significant demographic surge in his branding? Manny Pacquiao. That's where they're going next. Terrence Crawford called him out too, but we all know uh, it really is up to Manny and which one he wants, which one can generate more money. That's probably going to be Errol Spence right now. So unfortunately, we're not getting that fight. 
Now, I, I, it's beating a dead horse. I, I, I get it. I'm beating a dead horse here because we've talked about this for ages. My issue is this, man. When I mention this stuff on Twitter, when I mention it here, when I mention it on social in general, some of the PBC sycophants, the fanboys on YouTube and everything, pile on and they throw out names. This is bias. At best, you're biased. At worst, maybe you're prejudiced and you have an issue with Al Heyman, right? And all that starts to come into play. That's ugly. It's real ugly. And it's part of the divisive, toxic nature that we have in, in boxing, uh, especially on boxing, Twitter, and everything else uh, right now. So, so it just there's nothing positive to it. It doesn't help build it to anything. And it's unfair that I'm not allowed to do my job. Being a part of the boxing media, I'm supposed to be critical. I'm supposed to ask questions. I'm supposed to question everything. And you guys that listen to the show, watch the show, you follow me on Twitter. You've seen me go after, when I say go after, I mean criticize. You've seen me criticize every single promoter. You guys know that when uh, ESPN and Top Rank were calling uh, Tyson Fury a lineal champion, lineal, lineal, lineal. I'm talking before the rematch with Deontay Wilder, when he was beating B and C level heavyweights, right? And just ignoring what happened when it comes to UCAD, performance-enhancing drugs, just just glancing over that and saying the word lineal 5,000 times a broadcast. I trolled the hell out of top rank. I trolled the hell out of ESPN. There are people at ESPN and top rank who cannot stand me because of how hard I trolled them over that because it was bullshit. It was propaganda. Now... Once Tyson Fury beat Deontay Wilder in that rematch, at that time, they were the top two heavyweights, at least two of the top three. I have no problem with you calling Tyson Fury the the lineal legitimate heavyweight champion right now. I really have no problem with that. Shit. Hang on, guys. God damn it. Sorry about that. My phone just went out because somebody decided to call me in the middle of the show. Okay. So, again, I've gone after everybody. I've criticized everybody when they deserved it. But at this point, right now, the entity that's hurting the sport the most, the entity that is hurting the fans in their pocketbook and the branding of boxing the most right now, 2019 through 2020, it's PBC. They're delaying the biggest fight that could be made south of heavyweight between uh, Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence. And it's, I, I don't, I blame Errol Spence a little bit, but I blame his management more. And Top Rank isn't completely innocent in this. They have some of the guilt, but I put more of the guilt on the other side. But also, man, how many pay-per-views have you guys gotten? Last year, Wilder versus Ortiz. Uh, both Errol Spence fights were pay-per-view. This Errol Spence fight. Pacquiao versus Thurman. Uh, what am I forgetting? Charlo Doubleheader. Tank versus Leo Santa Cruz. Again, the Wilder-Fury rematch, that was pay-per-view worthy. But all those other pay-per-views, man, 80 bucks a pop, 70, 80 bucks a pop. And then, of course, Terrence Crawford, Amir Khan. That was complete dog shit. That did not belong on pay-per-view. That is killing the sport of boxing. It really, truly is in the United States. We need less of that. These fights should not be on pay-per-view. And me bringing this up and me bringing up the fact that for years now, PBC on their broadcast has pretended that Terrence Crawford doesn't exist. They don't even mention him among the champions at welterweight and everything. I don't give a shit if they showed him for three seconds on the broadcast this Saturday. They had to. Terrence Crawford went to the fight and was in attendance. So 
they had to show him. And Brian Kenny briefly mentioned his name. No one else did. But, like, let's not pretend this isn't happening. Let's be able to talk about it. We should be able to talk about it. And it's so interesting to me that there are people, even people in the boxing press, and I'm saying people in high levels of the American boxing press, high levels of institutional power in the United States boxing press, that are sycophants for PBC and defend them at all costs. It just will not criticize them when they deserve it. I I saw people tweeting stuff like, um, I'm trying to paraphrase here, but basically you're looking at, um, well, what if, what if, you know, imagine the the NBA showing a WNBA champion on one of their graphics. You know, that's what it would be like for PBC to mention Terrence Crawford. No, it's not. Those are two different sports. Or people were saying, Imagine if WWE showed a WCW champion on their graphic. Completely different. That's apples and oranges, man. If you're a welterweight and you have a world title, you should be mentioned in a discussion on any broadcast. And the other broadcasts, the other promoters, at least give them that much. They do it. All promoters engage in propaganda. That's part of being a promoter. They're propaganda artists. That's just what they are. But uh, some just do it more than others. And we should be allowed to talk about it and criticize when appropriate, and not be like silenced and censored and put on blacklists uh, by certain people because they can't stand that criticism. And that happens too much in the sport right now, man. All right, let's get to the preview, guys, real quick here, um, and then we'll wrap up the show. Wednesday, December 9th, there's a card from Mexico on UFC Fight Pass. Saturday, December 12th, we have three cards. Let's talk about them real quick. Uh, from Connecticut on Showtime, PBC on Showtime, Chris Colbert, 14-0 Brooklyn prospect who uh, could have went to the 2016 Olympic Games and said, you know what, too much bullshit going on here, too much nastiness, too much politics, I'm just going to go pro. I think it was the right decision. He's headlining a card going up against a Panamanian fighter who just beat Jason Velez. Uh, this is for an interim 154-pound title that Colbert has, uh, fighting Jaime Arbo Alberleta. Also on this card, uh, Ronald Ellis making a step up and fighting Matvey Korobov. Although Korobov is coming off a loss and kind of long in the tooth, very experienced, good step up fight for Ronald Ellis. And then another 140-pound prospect uh, also out of New York, Richardson Hitchens. 2016 Olympian, uh, represented Haiti, signed with Floyd Mayweather in 2017. He's fighting on that card as well. So three good prospects to take a look at on Showtime Saturday night. On ESPN from the bubble, MGM Grand Las Vegas, Shakur Stevenson going up against Tokakon Clary, junior lightweights. Stevenson will win that fight big, obviously. This is an interesting fight. Felix Berdejo going up against Masayoshi Nakatani. You might remember that name. Nakatani is the guy that took Tiafima Lopez the distance last July. Crazy to think that was only a year and a half ago. It feels like it was years ago, right? Because people were saying, oh, man, Tio got exposed. He ain't nothing, right? And I'm thinking, you people are nuts. You people are crazy. Just because he didn't knock a guy out and drill him, those are 12 great rounds. And let me tell you something. I said it then. Go back and check the record. I'll say it again. Those 12 rounds with Nakatani, a big part of how and why he beat Vasily Lomachenko later on. Prospects, young contenders, Need rounds. So anyway, he's going to, uh, going up against Felix Berdejo, who I think will handle Nakatani better. A little taller, a little rangier. I think he'll handle that height better. And Nakatani hasn't fought since he fought Tiafima Lopez a year and a half ago. Also on this card, uh, Edgar Berlenga, 
15-0, all first-round knockouts, uh, going up against another guy who's never been stopped but has a dog-shit resume. And then from London on the zone, a matchroom card, uh, Lawrence Okole and Huey Fury are on the undercard in fights that they are supposed to win and will. Anthony Joshua going up against Kubrat Pulev for Joshua's WBA, WBO, and IBF heavyweight titles. Hopefully, if you're an AJ fan, he comes in under 240 pounds. I think he was 237 for the Andy Ruiz rematch. That was a year ago. Looked good at that weight. Boxed really well. If he comes in under 240, boxes early on. Uh, wear down Pulev a little bit, who himself is long in the tooth. Getting a little heavy, a little slow. Uh, for Pulev, look, man, Pulev's only lost once in his career. And that was against Vladimir Klitschko. I want to say that was like... 2012, 2013. I mean, that goes back a while. So, uh, but he, I think he's, I can't remember how many, I want to say he's like eight, nine, or eight, eight or nine wins since then, but against very limited opposition. So, so I understand that on the surface, this looks like a real challenge. I don't think so. I think Anthony Joshua is going to win this fight pretty clearly. I think he's going to box early, box smart, and then take him out in the late rounds. That is what I see. Uh, let me know what you guys think. And we will do this again next Monday. I hope you guys have a good night and a good week. And enjoy the fights this weekend. I'll see you at the fights. <laughs>